0: So this is one of those moments that calls for calm, which is really to say that I'm not feeling very calm at all, and I'm telling myself, calm down, because one of the things I do know is that urgency, even when justified, can get away from us in a heartbeat. So I do want to be calm, but I do want to be clear. Israel's Supreme Court struck down a law which largely protected Israel's ultra orthodox community from the country's otherwise compulsory national service system. That's a nice way of saying that a community that is now approaching one million citizens didn't participate. Almost entirely, there are exceptions, and they are brave and bold exceptions, but almost entirely failed to participate in the national service system. The law was struck down because the new law was actually a compromise of the old law, and was trying to encourage greater ultra-Orthodox participation in the system. It excluded most people from it by saying, if you get a few more in every year, then we can live with that for the time being. It turns out that over the last number of years, the number of ultra-Orthodox Jews participating in national service in Israel not only has not gone up, it has actually gone down. A lawsuit was brought, and the Supreme Court ruled if the basis of the New Deal was that increasing numbers of citizens would participate, and in fact fewer are, the law is a failure and can be struck down. Well, the ultra-Orthodox rabbinic establishment is going crazy about this, and that's not the real story. In fact, the real story lies in the responses of those leaders, not the circumstances to which they're responding, because within their responses, there are lessons for all of us, however we feel about this issue. Now, to be clear, I am thrilled with the court's decision, not only because it shatters a deal made 70 years ago to exempt 400 men from service because they were actively involved in religious study and now exempts somewhere between tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people, depending upon how you count. So I am thrilled with this decision. But like I said, the real story here is in the responses to it and what we can all learn from those responses. First, we have quotes coming out of the ultra-Orthodox leadership, including, we've had just about enough of this. And another leader said, now they will see what is coming. My response is... I would love that. I would love to see what is coming if 000, I'm sorry, 000, I'm sorry, a million people in the community would suddenly start participating more fully. I would love to see what is coming if an increasing number of Jews in Israel actually participated in the modern state. And I would also suggest that I would love to see what is coming if, moving beyond the ultra-Orthodox community, we began to examine what it means for non-Jewish citizens of the state of Israel, beyond the small number of Muslim and Druze volunteers, to also participate in national service of one kind or another. So, when someone says they've had just about enough and will, meaning me, will see what's coming, I say bring it on. I would absolutely love that. But that's even not the biggest story here. The really big story here is that in responding to this, emissaries of the ultra-Orthodox leadership have already been in touch with Israel's Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, and submitted the draft text of a replacement law. And the draft text of that law includes the fact that when that law is passed, as they hope it will be by the Knesset, not only will it guarantee... The ongoing exemption system, it has within it the words that the Supreme Court will not be able to revoke that law. And that's actually terrifying. Whatever one thinks about this system of exemptions, good or bad, and I'm clear about what I feel, the idea... That the state could pass a law in which the Supreme Court cannot act as a corrective on what politicians do, in which laws are not available for review, and specifically not available for review when enacted by those who desire a theocratic state? I hate to say it, but we've come to a place where Israel really needs to ask whether it will simply be reduced to a Jewish Iran. I don't like saying that. I'm even a little scared to say that. I know that other people will say, we've been saying that for a long time. You're just waking up now, Brad? I am, because this is the first time when it's not about a matter of policy. It's a principle which has implications for all of us and for all countries around the world. And that is the need for checks and balances. We all need them. All governments need them and all people need them. And what's really at stake here is an attempt to circumvent a system of checks and balances, which is precisely valuable when it doesn't always agree with us. The idea that a group of religious leaders could coercively make rules is bad enough the idea that one could imagine encoding in coding and law that those systems were not up for review by an independent party is actually kind of terrifying. But it's not just terrifying for Israel. Any time any of us engages a system which has no checks and balances, however well intentioned we are, however well meaning we may be, whatever sources of authority we are invoking. It's not going to end well. So if we're going to learn anything from this moment, it would be where are the checks and balances in our own systems, systems of government, systems of living, and in our own relationships. Because if we have them, we can actually afford to take all kinds of chances. And if we don't, we're in big trouble.